When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And you'll see that your charisma can, I, I do think, evolves. At first, it might be this very showy, very obvious in everybody's face all the time charisma. Then you start to feel more comfortable with yourself. And you will be that when you want to be that. Mm -hmm. Hello. What's up, dude? We are here. Welcome to number... Whatever. 58. Cool. <laughs> do you have anything you want to start with? Uh, nothing. You go for it. I got okay. a lot, but nothing. So to start. I mentioned some of these to you, and this is a continuation of our conversation last week. But Trump did an interview with Chris Wallace. It was a forty-minute interview. I watched some of it, and last week we were talking about who we thought would win the election, mm -hmm. and that was what I was listening for. It's just very fascinating to see him in a position of seemingly being lost and getting caught, called out, and seeming. Out of his depth when, when they it comes ask him to, about COVID. Yes, when they ask him about COVID. Mm -hmm. And that was, I would say, they were on that topic for 30 of the 40 minutes. And only in the last 5 to 10 did they get to Joe Biden. And when Joe Biden comes up, he's he's dissing him. He's, he's insulting him. He's saying he can't string two sentences together. You know, I wouldn't, I don't want to be mean to the guy. But, and then he just goes. And what where I stand right now is I don't have a firm prediction of who will win in 2020. Mm -hmm. But... I do believe that if it's about coronavirus, Trump will lose. And if it's about candidates, meaning if Trump can get out there and be on the offensive, he will win. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think the best thing is what Joe Biden has already done. He's hidden himself. He's, he's made himself. It's tough to hit a, a moving target or yeah. a, a hiding target. But it was just interesting to watch from that perspective. Uh, and it really put the Democrats' strategy into focus which is like let's just make trump talk about what's going on in the world yeah <laughs> like let's not let him talk about joe ever yeah 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 uh, it makes sense no i'm telling you i think i think there if there's debates the democrats will try extremely hard to make them no audience mm -hmm. and i think to the extent they can go from three debates to one debate because of covid they will yeah like just the less trump and biden interacting in front of a crowd the better if your goal is Biden for president. Yes. And then the last thing that I'll say is that I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about the polls. Are they right? Are they wrong? The state ones were incorrect, but the federal seemed to point in the, the right direction in 2016. My general uninformed, non-polled, totally anecdotal sense is that there is more Trump support than is showing up in the polls. For sure. Uh, and we, we discussed this. I think that right now, particularly in cities, though I imagine it's very different in rural America, uh, I've heard people whisper that they're not happy with uh, 
some of the things that are going on. They're not happy with the BLM protests. They're not happy with uh, what's going on in Portland right now. But they don't totally feel comfortable expressing that as loudly as one might say, fuck Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, swipe swipe left if you're voting for Trump. And so as I've heard those whispers. Because we're in L.A. and our friends are in New York and yes. things like that. Yes, yes. And so granted, Probably the exact opposite if you live in a <laughs> you live in rural, a rural part area. of a red state. Sure. Sure. So and, it's and, like if you if you're not pro Confederate flag, swipe left, and then people are quietly like, "Hey, maybe we shouldn't." <laughs> so that could be a sample bias on my part, hundred percent for sure. Um, and I don't think that any of those states, California, New York, are going to go red. No. But I I have talked to people that either haven't voted uh, Republican in the past that are considering it, uh, and and I get the sense that they make up an unpolled group of people who, even if you did get them on the phone would not say what was going on. That's not to say that Trump is in the lead, but I do think that it is closer than it is being shown. For sure. I also think this election is going to be exactly like every other election, though, where mm-hmm. the blue states will go blue, the red states will go red. And the swing states There'll will be go. some swing states, and that's where it's all going to come So what I need to do is to go say back not to, to vote, by the way. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, California's not going red. I don't care how many whispers you hear. Mm-hmm. So it's really just going to be exactly like every election that has happened since I've been alive. Which yeah. is to say, it'll come down to a couple states to change their minds. And it'll look exactly like every other electoral map has looked since I was born. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. With Florida, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, maybe maybe going one way or the other. Yeah. I heard that maybe Austin is going to get so many people migrating there that Texas could go. Blue, Within a few years, it seems huge. like it because it is it is such a hot spot. Yeah. And well, and then you don't do electoral votes based on it, uh, like density per area. It's not mm-hmm. like the rural parts of Texas yeah. count for more because there's more land, which is to say if 52% of the population of all of Texas lives in Austin, it's a blue state all of a sudden, even if that's only 1% of the states. And they size. all vote Democrat, yeah. Uh, so the other thing slightly oh, I got another related. thing on you for well, Trump. Go ahead. I just thought of this. I think that Trump voters, at least in Democratic states, are like Fast and the Furious fans, mm-hmm. which is to say I've never heard anyone excited to go see Fast and Furious 8, but they keep <laughs> making them, so I assume that they keep making money. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. there's all these people that must love these movies, but never talk about them. And that's what and your I idea of, of Donald that Trump That is how I picture Trump voters, which is like you, and then by the way, this is in Democratic states, which is sense to say like, you look at it, you're like, why are they making another Fast and the Furious? You're like, because the last one made a bunch of money. And you look at Trump, you're like, there's no way he's going to win. It's like, this isn't true. This is exactly what happened last time. The polls are making him look terrible, just like they did last time. Yeah. There's a bunch of people quietly who are fans of both of these things. Yeah. It's it's tough. So I haven't dug deep into the methodology of a lot of these polls. But what is certainly the case, and I'm not saying that this is what's happening, but you, you can imagine that the system is incentivized such that I think the polling influences who shows up to the voting booth. And it could show up if you think that you're never going to win. Maybe you don't show up. This is why this Al is Gore, what happened in Florida. This is why Al right? Gore lost the exactly. presidency. They announced that Al Gore was going to win. And so no Democrats showed up. And so, so much of the news today, and I would say that we, we'd like to think that polls are separate from that, are arguing about what is happening right now. Like, is it sunny outside or is it raining outside? And there seems to be incentive not to report on what is actually happening or not to structure a poll in a double-blinded way that you would be surprised by the outcome, Mm -hmm. but to uh, push it in a direction that it would influence people to behave in the way that one might like at a particular news station or paper or whatever. But I think it's it's going the opposite way Mm because what it tends to be is people, it it looks like news uh, articles try to promote polls that their constituency will like, which is to say if I'm a Democratic news source, 
I say Biden is winning. And then mm-hmm. my audience is like, oh, I love and, reading the New York Times. And Donald Times. Trump loves that's, to cite the one that he's winning. <laughs> that is the opposite of what you want to do, though, if you care about the candidate, mm-hmm. which is to say Gore didn't lose because they said Gore was going to lose. And so no Democrats showed up to vote. They said Gore was going to win. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, everyone that didn't want Al Gore to be president showed up to vote to get him gone. And which people is to say, didn't show up that would have. Yeah. Which is to say, when you say every poll has Trump getting slaughtered, it might be why he won. Because people go, I don't have to go vote for Hillary. I don't have to go. Everyone was like, I'm going to vote against Trump. Keep Trump out. And then I think they thought the battle was won. Mm. And so they went, OK, well, I don't have to go waste my time. What I want to happen is going to happen. So I actually think when you promote polls that show that your side is already winning, you hurt your side. I think that there's a timing thing in there. Uh, certainly in the primaries, it's very important that you put on a we're winning face because you're yeah. not just going up against one person it's a continuous cycle of elections we need people to show up in iowa and then in new hampshire and then in all these other places yeah and maybe so, early in the president it's, so it's demoralizing as well for trump to hear that he's behind well trump's but, strategy early was just was sight i'm winning we're winning yeah, we're yeah, winning yeah. this poll shows me winning i won and you want to build that that coming, social proof coming october i think mm-hmm. the extent that you say trump's going to lose in a landslide does nothing but demotivate the anti-Trump voters and motivate the Trump voters. Do you think that's the case? I I'm I think it's an interesting hypothesis for sure, and it might be right. I don't feel like I know enough to totally get on board with that, but you might be right that early in an election cycle, what you want to do from a strategy perspective is be like, we're winning, we're winning, mm-hmm. this poll shows we're winning. And once you have that full head of steam, then it's like, all right, like if people think that we're <laughs> then all count us be like, out, hey, like we're get, it's getting closer now things yeah. are tight it's actually unclear yeah. what's going to happen yeah, yeah. show up november because who or knows? else because yeah. who knows we thought we had this one mm-hmm. oh it was it was hillary all the way but now it's looking tight i think that would have gone better for her sure. not saying she would have won but i think that would have gone better well you know what's interesting is and i think this has always been a the case and i talked about it in the first trump video that i made which, which is the persuasive power of fear and mm-hmm. i i wish i had a better memory i don't know that i've ever seen it it's always been deployed by both sides. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever seen it so unrestrainedly deployed, which is to say you've got fascist federal troops with unidentified marks roaming the streets arresting people is one side's fear. And Maoist mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, struggle session uh, banning communism. communism. If we, lose, if we lose, it's going to be communism. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, not communism in the way that you're picturing a utopia. Yeah, yeah. In a Russia, Ripping China, property, Bolshevik revolution. Everyone yeah. ends up poor and half the population ends up dead type yes. thing. Yeah, both sides are tr- are trying to say life-alteringly bad for you Yes. if we lose. Whereas I think in the past, it was a mu- there was a much greater sense of like, all right, Bush wins, uh, Gore wins, it's just like, okay, well, something is going to happen, but it's going to be very similar to what would have happened anyway. What I haven't heard is a strong vision for the future, which is to say, and, and not even a strong one, but even a focus on a vision for the future. So well, Obama was hope and change. And yeah. what does that mean? Who knows? But at least it was a forward looking things will be better. MAGA. Yeah. Make America great again. Was he? And, and also he had the fear side of we've got to build this wall to keep these people out. They're criminals. They're coming, etc. I haven't heard much about a vision of the future. Well, Biden has at points released things that could be that. It's just way less powerful sure. than fear. So sure. Biden has said by 2035, completely clean energy. Here's my plan. Two trillion dollars in. By the way, it's going to create a ton of jobs. It's going to mm-hmm. help unemployment. Eh, no one really cares. Yeah. 
But then someone will say, hey, have you seen that Trump released ICE agents to kidnap U.S. citizens for voter suppression? And it's like, this is terrifying. Am I next? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, that is much more front of mind for people. I think Biden's tried to paint the vision a couple of times. He's talked about a couple of things that just haven't really caught steam. He's talking about corporate tax rates and making sure that no corporation can get taxed below 15% because so many pay 0%. No one cares. People care, but not enough for it to, to get the vote out be something they talk about mm-hmm. or get off their couch to vote because who what percentage of people vote justin it's i mean what was it 100 and i think it's slightly well no it's more than half of adults because it was i think 120 million people voted in the last election i could be wrong about that um i think it was like roughly 60 million on either side so justin what do you got yeah, what percentage of adults or just even the number of people who vote God, this is a long-ass article. Ah, don't worry about it. All right, so let's, just, <laughs> let's make it up. 120 million. Uh, I think. Two, 200 million eligible voters or whatever. So you have almost half, 80 million. These are rough numbers. None of them are getting off the couch because they think that Joe Biden is going to make a new corporate tax. Mm. You know what I mean? But they might get off the couch if they think that Trump winning is going to lead to a fascist SS-type regime. Mm-hmm. 138 million. Okay, 120 yeah, I, I think it just doesn't. The painting the future positively, a good carrot right now, just gets drowned out by by the stick motivation. Yeah. So one of the other uh, things that I've been thinking about is is so Brett Weinstein. We we got it correct on the last podcast. That's how you say his name. Weinstein, like Einstein with a W. He talks about how a lot of the leaders that one might expect to rise and lead. Uh, organizations and movements in the modern society have been co-opted into becoming influencers, which is to say they host podcasts Mm -hmm. and do other sorts of things like that. And that what we have because of that is a crisis of leadership. These people are out there talking, influencing, but not necessarily heading organizations. And I was thinking about that with regards to the political thing. I wonder if there isn't, like, what do you think the importance of a charismatic strongman leader is? We kind of talked about this last week, saying that Andrew Yang, for instance, might have really interesting ideas uh, and isn't. Some people thought that we thought he was horribly uncharismatic. That's not my point, that he is terribly uncharismatic. It's just that he doesn't have what wasn't Clinton, close, wasn't Obama... Wasn't close to winning a primary. Yeah. Let's just not even call him, not charismatic or uncharismatic, lacked uh, primary charisma, mm-hmm. which is the charisma it takes to win a primary. Sure. Wasn't close. Yeah, and I, I'm just wondering. It seems that that there is a dearth of that is right now. Question: How important is it to be charismatic to be a good leader or to win an election? To be a leader generally, it seems like what is going on is that there's a lot of these ideas that there is the left and the alt right and all of these things, and there's these hydra-like organizations. And what's always funny to me is that people will say, "Well, people on the left think on the one hand that you got to do this about abortion, but then they do this with regards," and it's like that's not a an individual that you've chosen there. Yeah, 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 you've chosen yeah, yeah. A, a conglomeration of ideas. Do this, and some people yeah, do which this. is yeah. so. I, I guess I'm, I'm I'm sort of puttering around something, but I see a couple of problems. One that you can't when you don't have a representative, it's very tough to have a discussion yeah. <laughs> about something. And two, when you don't have a representative, it's very tough to have a vision for the future that is clearly communicated to the other side that can be well. I actually uh, think uniting. I think and this is. Both sides are guilty of this. I think part of the problem is most people aren't very smart. So a lot of times, if you are very politically informed, you can just walk around steamrolling people who aren't as educated as you, mm-hmm. make them look dumb. You feel like your side is right. Their side is wrong. Then you run into somebody who's more educated than you on the topic or smarter than you. They 
beat you in the argument. They show that your argument is not very well founded. You don't have the facts to support it that you thought you did. And what should happen without any bias is a reevaluation of what you believe. But instead, what happens is you just first hate that person and avoid talking politics with them ever again. Second, forget that that interaction happened largely and go back to talking to people who you can mm. feel strong against. And so then when you check your brain, you've never lost because you've blacked out that argument yep. where you got trounced. You've beaten a bunch of people who literally just aren't as smart or don't know as much as you. And so then you think my side is right. I'm politically educated and intelligent. And the other side is wrong and full of idiots. Yep. But really, like, you're just trying to select. You're forcing your experience to be that and using cognitive dissonance, blacking out any time it doesn't support that. And that's true on both sides. And mm -hmm. so both sides think the other side is, is insane, full of yeah. uneducated idiots yeah. who can't possibly beat them in an argument. And mm -hmm. it's because they seek that out and... God forbid anyone isn't like that. They skits out, have cognitive dissonance. You see them like in yeah, an yeah. argument start to twitch and then they pretend it never happened or that person cheated or the facts weren't right or whatever it is. Yeah. And they never reevaluate their own side. And so everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people on both sides just have this opinion of the other side that they're hunting out to craft that narrative for themselves so yeah. they can feel right and confident in their beliefs mm -hmm. you know I, what i mean yeah i don't know that there's ever been a halcyon time where people did sit down and discuss with one another so this this may have never existed in the past but certainly what i see today is that like this you have these podcasts and these youtube videos of people talking about what they imagine the other side to be and or even they'll take a video of uh take uh, a ben shapiro on the right or uh, Sam Cedar on the left, and then they'll like cut up that video and respond to it as if they were having an argument and not yeah, yeah. having the total opportunity to get the final word, misinterpret, cut pieces. Oh yeah, yeah. well yeah, <laughs> pick the weakest parts too. Yeah, and, and so what I very rarely see and, and I'm hungering for, because I don't feel that there's, I feel that there are many topics on which I've, I haven't changed my mind and would mm -hmm. be continually willing to do so, is to intelligent representatives of differing viewpoints in real time yeah. speaking to one another. Way less fun to watch. And Way less fun to watch. Well, let me give you another thing that would make it even less fun. They prep each other with the statistics beforehand yep. so that they can read so up. <laughs> here's why that would never, even if it happened, it would just get buried. Ben Shapiro goes on, gives a 10-minute video that you agree with 100%. The yeah. whole time you're just going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's smart and he's making you feel smart and just confirming what you want, which is that the other side is wrong and dumb. Mm-hmm. That feels great. At the end of that 10 minutes, you're like, yeah, and then you get to live your life versus in order to have an intelligent conversation like that would require an hour minimum, right? And because kindness. They're yeah. going to go back and forth and at very yeah. sm small amounts of that sweet, sweet, uh, I was right, pat on the back, dopamine rush. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And instead, you're going to have to listen while your side gets nuanced down. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And the person who's representing you goes, yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair criticism. And so now you don't, you, one, it's harder to consume, just takes more brain power. Two, it doesn't feel as good to watch. And three, it takes an hour. So I yeah. don't think that that... Well, people listen to podcasts, to be clear. They listen to, the, to Ben Shapiro's show and Sam Cedar's show. Those are an hour. It's uh, the, the time but, isn't the problem. But it's the people I think mostly seek out podcasts that they agree with. Sure. I, they think, look if they, for the I think if you made a person on the left listen to a Ben Shapiro podcast it would be a largely frustrating experience as mm -hmm. they disagreed but weren't allowed to voice their disagreement yeah, were yeah. forced to listen to this person say things that they didn't agree with. It's just not a pleasant experience that you want to repeat mm -hmm. the next day. You know what I mean? Like maybe for an intellectual exercise, 
versus you're just driving in your car while someone tells you all the things you already agree with but makes you a little bit smarter about it because they're smart mm -hmm. just feels better yeah. you know what i mean and i think most people are going for that i want this hour to feel good instead of i'm trying to become a more well-rounded yeah uh intellectual well i do think there is some space for it but to it does sort of point towards you or that it has to have some fireworks uh john stewart and bill o'reilly did a handful of conversations i mm -hmm. believe at like georgetown university several years back and it had to have those John Stewart firework moments in mm -hmm. order for it to be interesting, but it was an hour. They did discuss, and it was, I believe, uh, a more thorough investigation of some of their ideas than them responding to clips on one another's show. Yes, but did either of them change their mind on anything? No, but I, as the audience member... It, that's, I'm, not, I'm not interested in them changing their mind. I don't expect that Bill O'Reilly or Jon Stewart in that moment is capable of changing their mind in front of all of those people. I think you're much more likely to get a conversation <laughs> like Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson, which just gets uh, derailed into the minutia. Yeah. Well, I wonder then, and, and this is the other thing, I, I, I was having discussions uh, with people my parents came to visit, talked to my dad, and I felt it myself, and I think he felt it, and everybody's felt this. You're, you're having a conversation with someone who you disagree with politically, mm -hmm. and then they tell you about a, a study. Well, studies show that, and then they'll cite 62% of this, and then 46, and that feels underhanded in a conversation, because mm -hmm. uh, even if it is true, you don't trust their motives, mm -hmm. even though this is my own father, <laughs> right? You think that they're just trying to win the argument. Uh, and... It's very easy to mis misinterpret, uh, use a, a wrong sample size or, mm -hmm. a, or a disrepresentative, that's not the word, sample population for something. So interestingly enough, yeah, I feel like... Do, dude, you just do a survey at college and you say, oh, 38% of men. It's yeah, like, yeah. hold on, this is 38% of men that live in this one city yeah. that are this one age group. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they do that all the time for studies. So what I've noticed is that in these conversations, statistics, I think, are very unpersuasive though ideally that's where we would like to build our policy off of mm -hmm. because statistics feel like oh god you're tricking me i can't fight back i haven't read this and so for this hypothetical thing that'll never happen where two prominent members <laughs> of uh, the left and the right stand up and engage in uh, a debate where they're truly trying to drive at the best thing and the truth and to recognize the strong points of one another what they would ideally do beforehand is disclose the papers and the statistics that they planned to reference. Now, all of these couldn't be in there, but let the other side see your best argument mm -hmm. prior to that gotcha moment, and then you'll do a better chance of getting to the truth. And of course, that'll never that'll Yeah, never no one wants <laughs> I think the other thing is I don't think people necessarily are excited to do that even as the person who's presenting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, what's interesting, and I guess what gets stoked is I do believe... Uh, I grew up in a in a household where uh, my both my parents voted Democrat, and it was widely, broadly understood within the household that conservatives were just more selfish. Mm -hmm. They just wanted more money for themselves. They had they they'd made it, and they just wanted to keep more money. Uh, and through over the course of my life, we've done well. I've got to know people with more money who might be conservative, and people who are conservative that don't have as much money. And their impression of Democrats is that they are. Do nothing, lazy people that just want handouts. And are selfish, just to clarify. And are selfish. <laughs> and while I think there might be grains of truth for some people in each of those uh, mm -hmm. stereotypes, what they never seem to agree on is that in their own way, they're each trying to create a better society for them and people like them. Mm -hmm. And so there is actually far more commonality. Well, and they're both right. 
they're both selfish. Then they're both selfish. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> Almost equal, I would yeah. bet. Probably. Yeah. Uh, I think that, yeah, I think that people tend to be, tend to be selfish. But it, yeah, that, that these commonalities, and I've tried listening on YouTube, I've been looking for, for interesting debates. If somebody disagrees with something we've said, please come on. I'm so interested in having a debate and not making it about a power struggle. Uh, what I, what I see is that these debates devolve into power struggles. Statistics are totally misused to, in order to mm-hmm. win these debates. And they never recognize that they're actually on the same side. They're both trying to, to make things better, though they might have divergent ways of getting there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just a good, I think it's a good segue for, so people often tell us that we agree on everything. Yeah. We disagreed on something strongly, oh, yeah. strongly last episode. Uh, it was unconditional love, whether it's a thing or not. We mm-hmm. argued about it for 20 minutes straight. Uh, we were not sure that people would be interested in watching us argue for 20 minutes straight about the definition of unconditional love and if it exists or not, but it's in our Patreon. So mm-hmm. for people who are interested, you can just give a dollar to the Patreon and we're going to publish that, I think, the same time this goes live, right? Yep. And the only thing the Patreon money goes towards is paying Justin to show up to our house, record these and edit them. So to the extent that we get an extra $300 increment in the Patreon, we'll do another episode each month. And it might be five dollars is the minimum Patreon, just so you guys know, oh, okay. so you don't feel surprised when you get there. Oh, <laughs> sorry guys. Mm. Uh, and so this is the last thing that I have for politics. I mentioned this to you, and it, it it exemplifies what we're talking about. It's Mark Cuban versus Ted Cruz on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're so good. They're going at each other. Mark Cuban representing Democrats. Ted Cruz, of course, representing Republicans. And Ted Cruz says something to the effect of, "Mark." Can you please say free Hong Kong? Can you please <laughs> denounce uh, the the concentration camps of the Uyghurs in China? And he knows this because Mark Cuban is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. And earlier this year, we just dis- we discussed it. There was a big to do in China because one of the GMs of another team just tweeted free Hong Kong, and that made China instantly say, "Okay, we're shutting down the NBA." which they walked back after there were apologies to were just shutting down three games. There were American players over there. LeBron James is going, why are you saying this while we're over here? <laughs> You're putting us in literal danger. Uh, and it's fascinating because then Mark Cuban, without saying free Hong Kong or really addressing the criticism, goes, well, you won't criticize Trump. Like, da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. So Ted Cruz says, because I think it was a little bit hard to follow. Ted Cruz says, hey, Mark, Cuban. Mark criticize China. Criticize them for their concentration camps. Criticize them for how they're invading Hong Kong. Yeah. Do anything of that nature. You can't. China owns you. Mm-hmm. And then Mark Cuban doesn't address any of that. And goes Ted well, Cruz. I want to. I, I want to give him a steel man. He does. He shows one video of him saying economic ways that in which he disagrees with China, which of course is not something that they cancel you for or block you. T- yeah. Like that doesn't prove your point, Mark. But go ahead. And then he says, "Well, same for you, Ted. You're, there's things that you won't say. Say this. Say that." Mm-hmm. So. I just thought that it was interesting that there here are two guys who in many ways uh, are incapable of authentically expressing what they think because they are have different bosses. You know, they they can't piss their bosses off. Ted can't can't (laughs) piss off Trump and he also can't piss off his voters. Yeah. And Mark Cuban can't piss off the Chinese government. And they're going to the other guy and be like, well, see, you have a boss. You can't piss him off. And then they well, you have a boss without recognizing both of them that. You guys are both incapable well, this is of, the saying, Charlie, of telling the truth. This is the Charlie Hooper silver rule, right? Mm-hmm. Which is if you're ever criticizing anyone, pause and recognize that it probably is a criticism of yourself as well. Yes. And so I just I just thought that that was interesting to see. It was a moment where I'm sure Ted Cruz thought that he won. And then when Mark shot back, I'm sure that he thought that he won without ever recognizing that, you know, 
nobody's telling the truth about what they think about the world because yeah, yeah. they have a boss. Well, the internet's also funny. I mean, it's crazy. I actually think the answer is just don't engage in conversation on the internet. Like, don't even bother to tweet or get into forums. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm open to people telling me why. Well, not the internet. This is the internet. But you would say Twitter. I mean, I, I think you want to shrink that back a bit. Communicating via... Trying to communicate with somebody with 140 characters on the internet Mm -hmm. like not if you're not even with a long email honestly like you and i are communicating but to be fair like it's not a it's not a four-way conversation with me you and then the two people who are going to comment about this conversation you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it actually still is not a great way to communicate with people i think via text on the internet but i just was recognizing there i was reading about uh the sixers and somebody wrote if you had to train Ben Simmons, who would you trade Ben Simmons for? And I wrote who I would if I had to. And someone wrote, you think this person's better than Ben Simmons? And I wrote back, no, the question was if you had to trade Ben Simmons. And if I had to trade him, I would trade him for this person. He goes, you're insane. LeBron James light for this guy? I was like, no, no. okay, once again, like you have to. And then he goes, here's who I would do. And I listed four people. He listed three of them. And I was like, okay, so yeah, like, but I realized like there's, I just was like, there's no possible way to bridge this apparently. Yeah, yeah. So after a couple of tries, I just went, I'm going to let this guy misunderstand me. I'm going to let him think that I think that this is the case. And it made me realize, like, same with these people tweeting each other. It's just, it's almost impossible, I think, to have an honest conversation with people on the internet because Mm -hmm. there is a benefit to purposefully misinterpreting what you're saying. Very Kathy Newman-like in that Jordan Peterson. So you're saying, and then just straw man the person. There's like an incentive to do that. There's no incentive to try to steel man the person that you're arguing with. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So I, from my perspective, I was like, ah, it's a good lesson. Like, don't even respond to these things. Well, the incentive would be, and it's not a strong one, is that it makes you more capable of accessing the truth of the world, right? When you steel man things that disagree with you, either your argument gets sharper and you remain on your side with a clearer understanding of things, or you become more right because you change your mind. Oh yes. So that's that is not a that's not a very powerful incentive though. <laughs> yes, I, I guess I would say it doesn't appear to be a driving incentive. Yes, yes. It does not Winning. appear that most humans go for that. I'm gonna try to interpret this person what this person's saying as strongly as possible, and then argue against the best argument that it could be. Mm-hmm. They it seems like the thing that most people do is just go okay, how can I interpret this in the way that is the dumbest possible? Yeah, yeah. Because they're disagreeing with me and I must crush them for this. Yep. So I have one that hops off politics if you want to go. This oh, yeah, I have a bunch that have nothing to do with this. Okay. Go do for you, it. So this is, this one is an old story, but I want we never really discussed it. So Super Smash Brothers, it is a video game. Mm. And several weeks back, the community, and I think it had kind of been unfolding, had several Me Too type allegations mm-hmm. where uh, many of the players were accused of either from on the what you might call the lightest side of being creepy Mm -hmm. and then some of them were to the degree of being pedophilic in nature uh and so get accused of actually doing actually having sex with kids i don't know i didn't go deep the most aggressive i saw was soliciting nudes yes from minors yes still bad still bad yes but i there was an instance of a just straight up sex okay a minor okay what was the story there it's a really long one but basically that um it was there was one player that uh, started going to tournaments when he was like I forget like fourteen or something. I <clears> and this then one. yeah, we were talking about it mm-hmm. before the podcast like that week. And then um, there was an older player. I think he was maybe like eighteen to like super early twenties, and they they had sex. Mm-hmm. Is this the one where the fifteen year old like pursues him and yeah aggressively? And yeah, 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 yeah. So so without I don't want to get into the specifics of any of these stories because I actually don't think it's important to to my point. It one there was a very prominent player. 
uh, named Zero, who the allegations, which he, I think, initially denied and then said these are true, is that he solicited nudes from a minor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I thought was interesting about the whole story is that, of course, the reaction was very vitriolic against him. And we've talked about understanding before. Understanding does not mean excusing, but you then told me later that his story is one of uh, some abuse that he suffered as a young guy. I think you know his story better than I do. Yeah, I'm gonna, I mean, this is weeks ago. But from what I remember, he was bullied in school, and I think at one point a bully, I don't really understand how this could possibly happen, but a bully like found him in a bathroom stall and molested mm-hmm. him, basically. Mm-hmm. And then for the rest of school, I think this was like ninth grade or something, he was like 14. Uh, for the rest of school, he started to act very flamboyant because he, in his mind, was like, well, the only way that could have happened is if I was gay, mm-hmm. you know, because obviously what didn't happen was I got... I did push him ra- off me ra- and ra- say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he just froze. He just froze. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a small, chubby guy and just got froze when this big dude was, like, threatening him. Um, but it, rather than just say, oh, I was molested by a bully, he was like, oh, I must be gay. Mm-hmm. And so then he started to act really flamboyant. And then only later is he like, oh, no, I was, in fact, molested by a bully. Yeah, yeah. Well, what it, the, the point is not, not that... It, that any of these stories are true or allegations. I'm not. I'm not interested in that. But what I do believe is the case is that there's this cycle of shame, which which continues, and I I think unfortunately the reaction of uh, you monster, you know, uh, pedophile label, you are completely dehumanized, bad person is totally unhelpful because even in his thing, which might have been manipulative in nature, he's like I'm a horrible person. I am all of this mm-hmm. awful, which I think misses the point of. Uh, true atonement. True atonement is about recognizing that you may have done bad things, but that you are not necessarily a bad person. And what that leaves the door open for is for change and, and for for you to make amends in the best way that you possibly could and to be different in the future. But if one accepts, wow, I am a bad person, the cycle of shame continues. Maybe we can lock you up in a cell or a cage or your room forever. But the the healing doesn't start to occur and i think unfortunately what happens in a lot of these these um molestation sexual young kid things is that something happens deep shame is felt it's never discussed spoken to or understood within yourself or outside of yourself and then as you saw in his case and i think in the case of many other people that cycle continues i just thought that that it was a shame and i'm sure there were people out there that we've talked about this though you don't have to hate someone to incarcerate them sure like you can you can still be like Ted Bundy, you're doing this because you have a disorder in your brain and you can't help yourself. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you the death penalty because you have a brain disorder and you can't help yourself. Yeah, yeah. And like, do I think that you are uh, unworthy of having a soul or some like we, like some weird metaphysical thing? Like, sure, no. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put you to death though because if I release you from jail, you'll murder women and have sex with their dead bodies. That's just mm-hmm. what you do. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think you have to necessarily say like, evil or not evil but i do think that you can still be in favor of jail i'm not going to speak to the death penalty but like punishment incarceration prevention Mm -hmm. by just saying like listen because of trauma you couldn't control or brain disorder you couldn't control we don't know how to get you to stop murdering women and raping their dead bodies so Mm -hmm. we're going to put you to death yeah yeah like seems like the best solution for society totally totally and i think and what i would say is that um punishment prevention all of those things can be done without the added element of shame. And I include this for the people, the, the, whoever the person was that he was soliciting nudes from. You know, like, not that they have done anything bad, but that person, I'm sure, 
feels a tremendous amount of shame. And part of what has been good about the Me Too movement is that it's it's stopping that shame, that shame cycle at some point. So like the latest victim is the person that is starting to be able to go, this happened and it does not define me. It mm-hmm. does not make me unclean or disgusting or all of these things. I can start to share these things with other people and remain accepted by society. And I think the harder move to make is to go one level back to the person who had something really awful happen to them, couldn't process it, and as a result did something and passed it on to someone in a, in a way that was destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's not to say nobody should go to jail, nobody should be prevented. Like you can still, to your point, enforce all of those sorts of things without making the leap to evil monster dehumanization, which I think is really the root of, of why these, starts, these things sort of continue mm-hmm. in the world. Does that make sense? Sure. No, it reminds me, I mean, to some extent, it reminds me of Aaron Hernandez, the NFL player yeah. from the New England Patriots. He uh, murdered someone. Then they did a autopsy on his brain after I think he killed himself. And his brain had been destroyed by football to the point where they said anyone with this brain damage would have murdered someone as well. Because basically when he got enraged, the part of his brain that would prevent him from committing a murder was just not there. Mm-hmm. Like it just got bashed away over the course of his career. And so, okay, this guy has to go to jail because Every time he gets mad, or not every time, but he's going to if get he mad. were still alive. If he were yes, still alive, yes. he's going to get mad and kill someone again yeah. because his brain doesn't have the ability to stop him. So we should incarcerate him. And then he killed himself. And so it's like, yeah, you don't have to think Aaron Hernandez is a bad monster, but you just have to go. Well, he has to be put in a position where he's incapable of murder because when angry, that's what he'll do. Because while we all cheered on his sport, he took brain damage. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think you can apply that in some degree. We've talked about this when I got robbed in Brazil by a 15 year old at gunpoint wasn't because that person had less, uh, was less angelic or worthy of heaven than me, who's never robbed someone at gunpoint. It's because he was born into a situation where that was how he was going to get his food was by mm-hmm. selling my iPhone. So like, yeah, you don't have to demonize the person. You can say it's because of the circumstances in which they grew up in. And still be supportive of like, okay, if this 15 year old were murdering people and stealing their iPhones, we'd have to put them in jail because despite the fact that we're sorry for your upbringing, we can't have you in society murdering people to steal their iPhones. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, you can do it. I mean, almost, I don't want to say coldly, but you can, you can like remove the emotional part and just be like, yeah, I'm trying to run a society here. That's the best for the people. We've, we've talked about this before. I want to ask you, cause what this leads to, to me is a hard determinism. So if we accept that uh, brain damage makes somebody mm-hmm. do a behavior uh, or a tumor makes somebody do something, of course, everybody's brain has structures yeah, that yeah, are yeah. the way that they are. So I'm curious, and you've, you're not a hard determinist. No, we talked about this. For everyone else that's not me, I go determinist. For uh-huh. myself, I choose to go free will because I find it empowering, which may mm-hmm. just be a determined thing. <laughs> it, it might be Got determinist it. that this is what I'm saying. <laughs> but for other people, I choose to view them as if um, their circumstances have created what they're doing, especially when it's negative. Mm-hmm. And for myself, I go, okay, well, I'm not going to just act. I'm not going to believe that I'm a pool ball that's been hit with a stick and it's just going to go where he's going to go. Cause I find that it's more beneficial to my headspace to, uh, assume I have free will. And also if I'm wrong, it won't affect anything. Cause all this is predetermined. But if I'm, if I go determinist, then maybe I unempower myself to try to make hard decisions or maybe i excuse myself by just going like oh like yeah Got i did it. that bad thing but what could i do this is but you do recognize the argument does pertain to you as well which is you have a brain which is yeah, a physical yeah, yeah. structure oh, for sure okay 
guy. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then you just go, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. No, it's totally a belief. That's why I say it's a belief. It's not cognitive a, dissonancy. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> a belief. It. It's not a. Got I, it, I wouldn't it. say I have a proof or evidence sure, of it. Sure, it's just that it's like a decision I make because I find if it's okay. kind of like it's kind of like Pascal's wager, which also doesn't hold up. I understand. I understand. So if I I and I wouldn't if someone threatened you pain of death and they were going to hurt your loved ones if you didn't get this right mm-hmm. and of course there's an objective right let's let's just yeah, let's, yeah. let's let's leave all that for later uh i could i can't prove free will let's put it that way if they're like ben are you are you an agent that operates on free will or yeah. determinism get this wrong bad things are going to happen what would you say determinism okay got it and but for you you're just like i you know what i don't need to engage with that i just don't find it to be a useful you can just put it into a container and just leave it yeah i understand got it is that's isn't that crazy about about humans <laughs> that that i mean i think it's important to recognize i actually don't think you're doing the wrong thing because because we've talked about this honesty over integrity is so important people in an attempt to have high integrity which means to make your words match your beliefs match your actions will hide things from themselves mm-hmm. so that they are not forced to, to make difficult actions like uh leaving the job that they know that they hate but that they're scared to leave or that the relationship or uh going can i, can I make this more concrete yeah so for instance because for a while i didn't understand this this difference i thought mm-hmm. honesty and integrity was like synonymous if you value integrity over honesty you will lie to yourself about the quality of your relationship because if you admit to yourself it is a bad relationship and you think you have high integrity you will end your relationship Mm -hmm. does that make sense yes so you will convince yourself it's a good relationship which is actually even worse yeah because now everyone else can see you're in a shitty relationship but you can't see it because the second you let yourself see it because you're high integrity you would and the relationship because that's your value right and emotionally you can't let go your value is i i don't allow myself to be in shitty relationships so if i'm in a relationship that i'm not emotionally ready to end i'll can i'll do mental gymnastics Mm -hmm. to convince myself it's not a bad relationship yeah if you are high integrity but you prioritize honesty and you give yourself permission to not be 100 percent integrity you're capable of going this is a shitty relationship which for addiction or codependence or fear of loneliness I'm terrified to end and I'm gonna stick with it for a little bit because I don't want to rip the bandaid off. Mm -hmm. But I can at least agree with my friends and family and admit to myself, this is a suboptimal relationship. I don't love the way, I don't love these certain behaviors, this and that, Um, which is helpful because it's actually weirdly enough, the only way to make it a good relationship or escape it to a good relationship mm-hmm. is if you can be honest about the things you don't like yep. in your partner or your friends mm-hmm. and so I was, yeah, that's that's the difference between honesty and integrity when we because i think we've almost made this up i don't know if this is like officially how people bifurcate the two mm-hmm. but well what i was just saying is you had a good example of that right there where you admitted to experiencing cognitive dissonance without resolving it yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is like a lot of people be like oh i can't do that every time i find cognitive dissonance inside of myself i must make one belief match another and so what option you could have said which a lot of people in your position would have done is say if i had a gun to your head would you say that it's free will or determinism in order to remain without experiencing cognitive dissonance you would have said no i would say it's free will yeah. which is not the truth <laughs> you know what i mean no like, no yeah no um, if everyone else in the world well there's one option you're all npcs and i'm the player character. <laughs> but it, besides it being a simulation where i'm the only real person to think that everyone else is determinist but i'm not would be insane sure um it'd be be better if i thought everyone had free will yes then at least it would be 
defendable. Uh, and I do actually think, because there are, I don't think that I've gotten to the bottom of the determinism of free will. I'm still actually open to having my mind changed. But when we do look at the structure of the brain and what appears to be a physical system that is that is defined, determined in particular locations with neurons that are defined, it appears that if that is what is driving my behavior, that oh, is I'll operating like a very complicated billiard table that has just been cracked and now all the balls are going in uh, complicated but predictable ways. Yeah, I want to get to a, a different thing that's really sure, the video sure. games and my grandma, but real quick, <laughs> the thing that made me switch to determinism was, so I was, I mean, was a huge Tony Robbins fan. Mm -hmm. Like I was a zealot at some point. I wanted to study what he was teaching and become like him. And he would use Robin Williams as one of his examples of saying, happiness does not come from the external world, which I agree with because Robin Williams had more people beloved him than almost anyone. He was rich, he was famous, and then he killed himself. And Tony's takeaway was that is a lesson about how important it is to monitor our own beliefs. Mm -hmm. And that's a good lesson. Honestly, we should monitor our own beliefs. Bad evidence for it, because it turns out that Robin Williams had a degenerative brain disease that was basically slowly destroying parts of his brain, mm -hmm. such that if I did that to Tony Robbins, he would also eventually kill himself. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, oh shit this person that i thought was a good lesson in you know not being grateful or whatever mm -hmm. couldn't help himself knew that he didn't want to be like this mm -hmm. wanted to be around for his kids and his fans and this and that but eventually just his brain betrayed him you know what mm -hmm. i mean and that's the first time that i kind of was like oh there's some determinism to mm -hmm. these outcomes mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah 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 I don't, we don't have to push it too much further unrelated uh, but i was saying it so i was talking to my my grandma today and she's very bored at home with uh covid because she's scared to leave the house because she's high risk and my suggestion to her was you should get a nintendo switch because you're bored she's like all i do is play words with friends and i'm very very bored i was like get a Nintendo. i would love i mean maybe eventually i get bored <laughs> but like a month to just play different video games and not have to work like what a dream and she she, she couldn't even pro process the concept yeah you know what i mean and my question was, what is that today for me going to be? Oh, I the think, thing that you're too old for? Uh, and my question is, is it was there this weird gap where technology just exponentially grew and like people missed out on it because they never grew up with video games? And so if you had video games as a child, you're going to be okay? Or if not, what's the thing when I'm 80 that my grandkids are going to be like, you? there's no reason for you to suffer because you could just mm. blank. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I was just going to go... the amount of effort it would take for me to understand the technology you just said is more intimidating than just being miserably bored. Well, I think, unfortunately, uh, what is she, 45, 50 years older than you? Yeah. That means that that technology is going to be released in another 10 or so years okay. for you. So like, She's about 50 years older. Sure. So whatever comes out when you're 50, <laughs> it's going to be that thing. Yeah. And so take how... Uh, how much more stagnant you are now how much more sure of your preferences the things that you like that you don't like we used to travel the world now we stay in the same place mm -hmm. continue that process of ossification out another 17 years and then well, introduce a breakthrough technology and to, see if you pick it up to me i actually think and maybe i'll maybe just inertia will get in the way it highlights for me that one of the most important things you can do if you want to be happy in old age might be push yourself to try to continue to understand technology such that you never get to a point where you are incapable 
of interfacing with what's out in the world. I even think a simpler way to do it is to stay, is to hang out with young people, like like grandkids, and mm -hmm. be involved with them, not just as well, like. Well, she would oh, though, and she'd see me play video games. Yeah. And she, instead of being like, "What is this? Can yes. I participate?" Yes. She would go, "What is this?" We didn't do that. I hope you have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And she would still stay distant from the technology, and she'd just watch me from afar and mm -hmm. enjoy my company. But the thing is, now I'm not five. I'm 32, and I live across the country. So like, yeah. enjoying my my presence while I play video games is just gone for her. Yeah. And at no point did she sit down to be like, Super Mario Brothers, what is this? Because mm -hmm. it only had, you know, six buttons at the time. Now there's 18 and it's just incomprehensible. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, you know, my grandma used to give me these like awful butterscotch candies that she must have loved when she was little. Yeah. And I think that that's a natural tendency is she, of course, she didn't want to try airheads. That would have just that would have blown her head off, right? The, the sugar content in that alone would have just been crazy for her. Yeah, yeah. So I do think that one needs to be discerning when engaging with what I think have been in some cases overly stimulating, potentially destructive technologies. But yeah, it's it's a good refresher that uh, try to engage with things that kids are getting into, even if it looks like the world is marching backwards because the way that you used to do it was you used to go outside yeah, and yeah, you yeah. used to, you didn't have any of this fancy rock and roll music. You never listen to that. It's, I, and I, and I, I think the thing that stops people is it looks like a moral degeneracy because, because the future always looks like moral degeneracy <laughs> to the previous generations. It mm. seems like at no point I mean, I'm trying to think if there's ever been like a group of 60 year olds that have just hopped on this brand new trend that came out amongst 14 year olds. Well, my my suggestion would be that everyone should. <laughs> well, are you going to get on TikTok? Because that's the I've thing. I've seen TikTok. I look at TikTok and it makes me sick. Yeah. So that's, that's but here I, I am. The, but I understand the technology though, which is all I'm advocating. Like, Do you understand the technology? Yeah, I can. Well, no, sorry, not how to build it, but how to use it. I think you, okay, so maybe because you have Instagram and you can double tap, you're only a decade from being unable to turn. Do you remember when, so you and I didn't play video games for 15 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. And then we, I did ayahuasca and I was like, I don't have enough just meaningless fun in my life. Mm -hmm. Everything needed to be directed towards growth. So I'm going to get video games, which don't make me a better person. I just play. I couldn't turn on the PlayStation 4. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I was Googling how to turn on the PS4 because it didn't have a button on it. Yeah, yeah. Now I know that it's got a wireless controller, which is insane when I first picked it up that has a button. But uh, I feel that way around TV remotes. I feel that way around a lot of things. So yes, you get TikTok because you were on Instagram. But you skip one or two generations of things, you will not be able to turn the damn thing on. Yeah. And I remember when you spoke to your grandma and she was asking you about email or something. Oh yeah, something. it was so brutal. <laughs> trying so, to get try, I was trying to, on the phone, walk her through how to access her email. And I was like, all right, yeah, so pull up the internet. She's like, well, how do I do that? Click on your internet browser. What is an internet browser? Yep. It's like, okay, please read every desktop <laughs> shortcut that you have to me. What's a desktop yeah, shortcut? Like, this is literally the conversation. It took me about 40 minutes. It was yeah. painful. Yep. Yep. And explaining the at sign to her. She's never used the at sign. Yeah. You know, do you know where the shift? So I think that we are a handful of skipping out on TikToks because TikTok has something that Instagram doesn't mm. that you will just be missing out on and that will be assumed in the next generation of thing. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be you. That's going to be me, especially since we are not actively. I, I think that TikTok is bad for people. Mm -hmm. I think that it would be horrible for my brain and I'm a better, happier person for not having it on my phone. So yeah, I'm going to be your grandma. <laughs> are you going to get the PS5? 
yes so you so you'll stay it's up awesome. to speed there but i but up to speed yes in that one particular thing but what we're saying is there were no video games when your yes. grandma was a kid so whatever the thing that there isn't when i was a kid which is social media that kind of came midway through my life uh it's very likely that i will just go life is better without this thing and so will you yeah we'll see and and the generations march on what else you got let's see Oh, we've kind of already, we've talked about this a bunch. Uh, I just saw a classic comment on Reddit. I don't know if it's worth rehashing. Was talking about the um, uh, fact that there are ICE agents in Portland. And depending on what news agency you follow, uh, they're arresting people who are doing nothing wrong, right? They're just protest, peaceful protesters who are being kidnapped by ICE agents. And if that's the case, it's fucking awful, right? Someone was just writing about it on Reddit. And by the way, I'm blocking Reddit. <laughs> so we're gonna have a lot less to talk about, but for my mental health, I think it's good. Uh, and they said, how can anyone stand for this? The fact that there's not people marching on the streets, the fact that there's not people uh, on the lawn of the White House right now over this is insane. What are we waiting for? And I, wrote, I wrote it and I said, what are you waiting for? Why aren't you, why aren't you on the lawn in DC? Just I would not aggressive. Yeah. I'm just like, hey, like question. You said we. What are we waiting for? So I assume you're American. Yeah. Why aren't you in D.C.? He goes, well, some of us have families and some of us live thousands of miles away. So well, there you go. Okay. I said, <laughs> just, I said, just so you know, your reasons for not doing this are just the exact reasons that no one is doing this. He said, well, not everyone has a family. Not everyone has. <laughs> not everyone lives a thousand miles away. I said, yeah, but whatever reasons you have, they have different reasons, but they think their reason is just as valid as you do, which is to say you're allow, you're willing to allow Nazi Germany to occur in your country where people are kidnapped and detained illegally. Yeah, in your opinion. In your opinion. Yeah. No, it's exactly what this person was saying their positive is happening because you are unwilling to be away from your family for one week so that you can go demonstrate yeah, yeah. in Washington, D.C., which, by the way, people go away from their their families for a week all the time. They just mm -hmm. do it for work, which we think is uh, unpreventable. Yeah. But if you, th if you think that we're, we're basically on the SS's doorstep of becoming concentration camps for our own citizens. You're not willing to get on a bus, kiss your wife, kiss your kids, say, I'll be back in a week. This is the most important thing that's ever happened in my life. And then get on a bus to DC. This is exactly why no one is, which is yeah. fine. I'm not actually saying you should. I'm saying you can't possibly be outraged that other people aren't. Like anything that you think other people should do, but you aren't doing, just yeah. don't think other people should do, was basically my last Did message. Did they ever respond or? I don't remember. It didn't, certainly didn't get anywhere uh, productive. And again, got another lesson about internet comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was just like, I was like, well, should is such a funny word. Like, how can you say that people should do something that you're unwilling to do? Well, I think I think it's it's a mistake to view comments as an indication of what people believe. Uh, and I think that mm -hmm. this was an important distinction that Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris talked about, which is what does it mean to believe something? And I don't think a belief is merely what you say you think about a situation. If you truly believe something, there should be a predictable set of actions that follow from that. Mm -hmm. And I th one that is contentious with people is, uh, I think we've discussed this, you dated someone who was a devout Catholic mm -hmm. and would have told you that they believed wholeheartedly in the word of the Bible. Mm -hmm. This person also, and I don't think that you were, were pressuring or anything. No, 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 not at all, dude. Like, uh, chose and pushed to have premarital sex with you mm -hmm. uh which you obliged. i was caught off guard by it. she was like <laughs> yeah. we should have sex and i was like 
I thought we were never doing this. I thought yeah. this was something you only did yeah. before marriage. We are 19 at the time, like very far from marriage. We've yeah. been dating for a couple months. And she's like, no, I want to. I was like, okay, so I'm not going to fight you on this. And so the point is, does that individual believe that the Bible is the word of God? I would argue not, because mm-hmm. in there, there are serious ramifications for making that sort of decision. Well, she was Catholic, though. I don't know how. <laughs> so maybe she believed that does, she could just go. <laughs> how does forgiveness work in Catholicism? It's pretty loosey-goosey, right? Well, you can also just buy an indulgence, depending on who you ask. So, so may, yeah. if I were a devout Catholic, maybe I would just sin a bunch. But then, what's it called? Ask for forgiveness? Uh, you could repent. You go repent. to the no, confessional. What's the thing? Confessional. Yeah. You go, just go to confessional. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I actually thought that that worked, maybe that would be my system. Sure. So maybe that's not a great example. Maybe, maybe that was her plan all along. No, I think but the bigger one is, is if this, you, this individual who if says they think, believe that a fascist takeover is happening. Mm-hmm. I would argue that they don't, in fact, believe that. And this is why so many times when people uh, talk at dinner tables and we've, we've advocated this is, you know, if you believe this is a problem, would you be willing to donate $10 to a charity which, which does this? And what you'll find is that people are not often expressing what they believe. They are merely spouting a frustration Mm -hmm. and then attaching it to what's occurring in the news cycle or around them. And this is why I feel like I always come back to this. The most valuable thing that someone can do is begin to identify the true reasons with the frustration. Because this person that you were texting or speaking to doesn't appear to believe that a fascist takeover is actually happening. But what seems undeniable is that they're very frustrated. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, where is the frustration really coming from, given that you're not actually worried about a fascist takeover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or there's someone who's right now on the White House lawn. And they believe it. And that person, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's not that everyone doesn't believe this. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. that if you're not willing to leave your house or change your daily routine at all, you don't think we're eminently about to become Nazi Germany. Because mm-hmm. if I was like more than 20% certain that we were about to be Nazi Germany, I'd leave the country. Mm-hmm. Like you guys will know when I think that we've hit the 20% mark for yeah. probability, because I will not be in the United States, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll be in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there are people who believe it, but they are on the White House lawn right now where they're doing something with a lot of their time yeah. to try to redirect us away from the coming concentration camps. And this is an interesting, it's a very, it's some. It's a sobering question to ask oneself, but assume that you can't state your beliefs, but that your actions state them for you. Mm-hmm. And this is why people go, you know, you tell them, you say that your priority is your family, but let's look to your actions. What what do you really believe is your priority? Well, mm-hmm. it looks like you spend 70 hours a week in the office. Mm-hmm. So it seems that you believe that your priority is work. And you can say that uh, providing for your family, but we can then go to different, okay, so where do you spend that money? Well, actually, you only spend 15% of it on your family. The rest you're saving for, you know, whatever yeah. for your family later no and i'm um, glad you put that because there are there's someone who works two jobs 80 hours a week and 90 yeah. percent of his money goes to his wife and kids and yeah. that is prioritizing family sure i don't want to diminish that yeah, yeah yeah but the person who's making so much money well beyond their family's needs mm-hmm. and banking it all and yeah and at some point it's like yeah this is just a cover because what you can't say is like i'm addicted to playing the game mm-hmm and and it's a uh, it's a useful exercise to do to ask okay what do I believe and I think if if most people answered this question what do I believe about the state of the world it would be that it's not that dire and I don't need to get involved and my day to day business is far more important <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. just where most people land um, if you weren't allowed to say it and you had to just look at your day yes you just, I'm just gonna look at your last two weeks mm-hmm. it's largely you doing nothing to try to change the government okay you're not that fussed about or even or even adjust your own life such that when the fascists roll in you're not in the most like if you're if you're building a bunker 
uh, you believe. Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> if you left Manhattan and started a uh, farm in yeah. middle nowhere, Pennsylvania, your actions make me think you have a belief about what's coming. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, so what I think what is often happening, unfortunately, in discussions, particularly on the internet, is that it's just this explosive emotion that, like I said, is being Velcro hooked onto whatever's happening mm-hmm. in the news. And, and then we just yell at each other about s- stuff that is totally unrelated to the cause of our feelings, uh, completely tangential and a distraction from the actual feeling. Because that person, I'd be willing to bet no matter what was going on in the news, would be frustrated, mm-hmm. outraged, and indignant with the behavior of everybody else around them. And maybe not with the government. Maybe if, you know, maybe if the Biden wins, mm-hmm. the frustration will no longer be with the president. It'll be with something else. Yeah. Tony Robbins makes this point, and, and you mentioned loving Tony, and as do I, and then I disagree with him in some areas, but he talks, he was at a date with Destiny on 9-11, and he said it was fascinating to watch sad people get sad, guilty people get guilty, helpful people become helpful, and it didn't matter where they lived. There was one person who was freaking out and indignant. Oh, how dare they do this to us? And then he talked to him. They don't even live in the U.S. They're not even a U.S. citizen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just, this was an opportunity for them to feel per- attacked. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then there was a, a Jewish guy from New York who was like, we need to come together right now. We need to, <laughs> okay, that was his opportunity to, to build a bridge. Mm. Um, so in any event, inside greater than outside tends to be be a theme of this yep but else you got don't say people should do something unless you're yourself willing to do it um but it's funny i've talked about that particular instance multiple times in emotional mastery yeah in the course nice um should we go to questions sure cool first one is from jared oh sorry can i can i interrupt yeah we have four million subs yeah i saw that (laughs) who cares i saw that it doesn't matter at all well, we only had 3,999,000 subs. I hated myself. Yeah. But now that we have 4 million, I still hate myself. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it's nice. And if I'm honest, it feels, it, it looks nice. But what I have to tell everybody and myself is it is, uh, there was a point in time where I thought that one, two, three, four would really matter. They really don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, Did you care when you saw it was four? I, I will tell you what I felt. Oh, cool. Like yeah. that number, it, like the first number looked different than yeah, it yeah, had. Yeah. And that was, it went in a direction that was pleasing to me. Got it. Uh, but no, did I care? And I'll tell you, I, I used to have this fantasy. This is back when H3, H3 had about 4 million subscribers. I was like, dude, when we get to four. Oh yeah, baby. We'll be able to do a podcast that 100,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and if, even if 100,000 people listen to the podcast, just it, wouldn't, to be clear, it wouldn't matter. We're Sparta. Okay. Yeah. H three H 3s podcast might have a hundred thousand listeners. They got more than that. But they're <laughs> they're Athenians. Okay. Okay. And our podcast may have eight thousand listeners. Three hundred of them. Every single one of them is a goddamn Spartan. Okay. <laughs> and I like our army. Yeah, that's the truth. Is it's perfect. It's perfect the way that it is. You yeah. know. So. That, I just thought that was a funny vanity metric, which made me go ooh, and then. Eh. Yeah, yeah. I just have different ones. I, I yeah. My vanity metrics is just my bank account. When it hits high numbers, I go, hooray. Yeah. Well, not high numbers, higher numbers. Yeah, obviously. Yes. Well, sorry. So medium, a medium number would be whatever I'm currently at. Yeah. A low number would be if, God forbid, it goes down. Yeah. And then a high number would be something, some more, even number more, higher more, than more, where more, I'm more, at. More, yeah. more, more, I got you. <laughs> all right. Sorry to interrupt, Justin. No, it's all good. Um, the first one is from Jared. And they say, I have a question for you about positivity. <clears throat> Oftentimes, I find that I'm quick to point out the negative in things, or I'll instinctively make a joke, putting others down rather than building them up. 
I recognize how detrimental this is to my relationship with others and is something that I've always wanted to change. Since I found Charisma on Command over a year ago, learning to be more positive has been my biggest focus. I started listening to speakers like Tony Robbins and John Gordon, started meditating, and have tried to make a conscious effort to find the positive in things. However, I seem to have hit a wall in my growth, and no matter how hard I try, I cannot seem to get rid of that negativity. Whether it be through instinctive thoughts or actions, or even just the way that I word statements, saying that I have to do something versus that I get to do it, whenever I allow my subconscious to take over, negativity comes out. I was wondering what advice you can give me to get over the hump to live my life as a mostly positive person. I understand that no one can be positive 100% of the time, but even just 51% of the time <laughs> would be a major improvement for me. Any books, exercises, or really just anything that can teach positivity would be helpful. Okay. This was me, bro. That was, uh, that was my Wogglin's Eye feedback. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're kind of a dick. You're very sarcastic. All your jokes are negative. Um, I think the first thing I would say, because I, I had an answer formulating, and then as your question kept going, I have a revision to what I was going to say, which is cut yourself a little bit of slack. I think that there, it sounds really nice, this whole I get to do something versus I have to do something. But you're, you're in your culture, which has its own colloquialisms. Like for you to take things that you don't necessarily want to do and make it so that every time it happens, you say, I get to take out the trash. I get to yeah, yeah. pick up dog poop is very, very hard. I think the idea that I want to become less sarcastic, make my jokes less cutting, have a more positive sense of humor, like that's great and helpful and doable. I never want to slip up and say I have to. I don't think that's uh, possible. And also, I'm honestly, not even the 80-20, in my opinion. Um, so maybe, that's just my first bias. It's like, cut yourself slack. Uh, I know you said you don't want to do it 100% of the time. But yeah, just because you hear yourself say, I have to, doesn't mean you need to take out the self-whipping thing in your brain. Um, in terms of humor, I, I think that the most beneficial things I've done personally, one, I tried to spend time with people who had the sense of humor I wanted. So I tried to not spend time with people who were very cutting and sarcastic and mean to people. And I mean, my fraternity was perfect for it. There's 26 people in my pledge class. One of the biggest dicks I ever met was in my pledge class. And some people thought he was really funny. One of the most positive people I ever met in my life was in my pledge class. And I was just like, all right, I'm gonna try to spend time with that guy, be around him, hear his jokes. And just naturally you'll start to, I think, shift to the, it's a cliche at this point, like the five people you spend the most time with are going to inform your personality to a large degree. And the second thing is what you consume, right? So for now, at least, if this is your goal, try not to watch shows where the punchline of the joke is that something bad happens to someone. Try to watch shows where the main character makes jokes that are the type of joke that you want to be making. I think media is something we don't always give enough credit to in terms of being a form of hypnosis for us. And so I think just being careful of what you put in your brain is another thing can be really helpful. Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec has a couple of clips on YouTube, which mm -hmm. are just great because his he, he either he's the butt of the joke or his enthusiasm is the funny part. It's Chris Pratt and Carton mm -hmm. Parks and Rec. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, the other I mean, the, an amazing show for the first several seasons at least. Brooklyn Nine Nine. That got Jake Peralta is goofy and funny and is comfortable with things not going his way. And I don't even remember what they were, but I I am certain that there are shows where the main character is liked because he's so snarky and clever with his put downs. And I would just stop watching those if your goal is to become more positive. And I would just consume positive people. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Yeah, so I think, I think there's two levels. And the first is what Ben kind of talked about. And this is true of, I think, any sort of change that you want to make. 
the first fastest and it ought to be the first way is on the behavioral level which is exactly what you address and that can be influenced by uh, what you surround yourself with if you set up stakes and you have to pay a friend five dollars every time you do something that breaches that we've, we've covered a lot of ways to make the behavioral changes and I think Ben did a good job and then later on I do think that it is helpful to come back uh, to especially for the things that that uh, wind up being sticky to the internal experience of them because what you might recognize is that you might control every single word that comes out of your mouth but that uh, a creeping negativity still infects the way that you perceive the world and that cannot be rooted out by changing just your behavior that at some point is going to require introspection and for that all of the tools that we mentioned for introspection Mm -hmm. which i won't drone on about here but we've talked about psychedelics if you want to check out the emotional mastery course you could read a books by byron katie eckhart tolle um there's there's a ton more sure but one thing i would say i actually think that behavioral changes in this regard can uh affect the deeper stuff sure. in the sense that there's sometimes a positive feedback loop, loop. Yeah. i would if you're anything like me i won't even take a guess my personality was shaped largely by being insecure i was very small growing up hit puberty quite late and so my jokes to take other people down came from a place of feeling below a lot of people. And so when I started switching my humor to being more positive, it made people like being around me more, which made me get a lot more positive feedback from the world, which actually helped with my self-esteem, which was the core issue, if that makes sense. So like I didn't have to do self-esteem guided meditations or anything like that because what I did was start to get feedback from the world that what I was doing was much more enjoyable to be around, which meant I had more friends, more just dating more people, which then solved to some extent what was causing me to have low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think I agree with everything you said. I guess the the internal work I'm rec- recommending, actually, I would, I would say goes, ought to go deeper than self-esteem. I think self-esteem is super important. It's deeper than behavior. But I do think that there is a foundational level that goes deeper than Nathaniel Brandon. Sure, I think a lot of times when specifically your negativity comes out as cutting jokes, mm-hmm. it's a self-esteem issue. Sure. I actually don't think it's a childhood trauma issue necessarily. Like I oh, I can't help but uh, put my friends down like this and that. Sometimes I think that can just be because you have low self-esteem totally, or, or totally. grew up with low self-esteem and um, isn't necessarily because something yeah, horrible this is meant happened. for the, This is meant for the things that are sticky in yeah. your life that are despite self-esteem getting better and uh, behavioral outcomes getting better that remain, uh, you still feel it mm-hmm. inside of you. Yeah, yeah. Cool, what else? Next is, do you ever get tired of charisma or being the charismatic friend? I've always been pretty good with people, but when I moved to the small town I live in now, I started really working on charisma so I'd be able to make more friends. Mm-hmm. It worked well, but now I'm tired. <laughs> Everyone looks to me. I'm tired. <laughs> charisma commands too good. Everyone looked to me for what's happening on the weekend. Everyone leans on me to carry conversations and always be the cool, fun, outgoing, friendly person. Yeah. Sometimes I just want to chill without feeling like I need to be entertaining or switched on but then I get everyone asking what's wrong and it's becoming annoying. Is this par for the course or is this just a me thing? No, I mean, I, I feel that way. I don't know. So my thing would be, so I would say just give yourself permission to not be the charismatic hero, so to speak, which is to say if you're, if you're going to, I mean, for me at least what I do, if I'm going to go out, I tend to enjoy being uh, high energy and socializing and talking to new people. But if I don't feel like going out, I think the best answer isn't to go out, 
but be quiet it's just to not go out Mm -hmm. now if i felt like going out and being quiet i would do that that's just not an impulse that i personally experience a lot but you're saying like oh people look to me to make plans and i don't want to don't Mm -hmm. you know what i mean just be like i don't have any plans and don't be mad or sad or anything just like yeah i don't have any plans okay well i want to do something okay let me know what you decide and then get an invite and they're like hey we decided to do this you're like oh i don't really want to do that thank you totally kind like with kindness you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i i think that uh you you can be charismatic without being somebody that has to entertain entertain yeah yeah exactly. i think this is the next level honestly of charisma so uh, it's very typical that you learn it because you want to be liked approved of fit in be desired and you got all that right now they like we want you uh and and have uh emotions that they want you to create for them of mm-hmm. excitement in the conversation or in whatever it is that you wind up doing and so the next level of charisma i would argue is an even deeper sense of confidence that is comfortable not being those things to the people knowing that you don't have to constantly impress entertain and live up to the expectations of other people so what that might look like and you'll see that your charisma can I, I do think evolves at first it might be this very showy very obvious in everybody's face all the time charisma then you start to feel more comfortable with yourself and you will be that when you want to be that mm-hmm. and when you don't want to be that you will be totally comfortable doing the things that ben said which is not going out tonight <laughs> no i'm gonna looking forward to sitting in watching netflix eating cheetos and speaking to no one yeah uh and i think that's that's fantastic that's actually going to be an even deeper level of that confidence yeah but i would i could be wrong i would guess going out with a big crowd or going out to a party but being quiet isn't necessarily what you want to do but a compromise because you feel pressure yeah yeah, say what you really want to do probably is be alone in that moment or with one or two close friends in a quieter setting Mm -hmm. and the compromise you reach is oh i'm going to be i'm going to go out to this big boisterous party but personally, I'm not going to try to be the dancing monkey that entertains yeah, everyone. Yeah. And I actually think if you tap into what you <laughs> genuinely want to do and then just give yourself permission to do that, what you'll find is that sometimes you want to go to the party and be an absolute hurricane of charisma and no one can take their eyes off you. And sometimes what you want to do is sit at home and read a book. Mm-hmm. And you'll just give yourself permission to do the thing you want to do. Yeah. Which I actually think is not often going to be to go somewhere but be gloomy yep and so it's it's a shift from charisma as this idea of center of attention entertainer to you could still be charismatic but you are being more centered in yourself Mm -hmm. and the question that is going to be asked more frequently is not what is going to make everyone else like me but what is it that i want to do right now and then like ben said stay home go out go out and fall asleep on a chair yeah yeah. (laughs) whatever it is that you want to do um that actually has a magnetism to it as well though that's not the purpose yeah i was actually gonna say funny enough this is not gonna hurt how people view you at all because when you're when you do this you'll often be charismatic in certain situations and just not be in situations Mm -hmm. that you don't want to be in which is weirdly the times where we make the worst impressions are when we're somewhere that we're uncomfortable or that we don't want to be cool next is I'm struggling with the expectations of my family. I have a spouse and two kids, 10 and 5. I'm having huge amounts of frustration when they're not following instructions or when we are outside our home. It's getting to the point where I'm resistant to spend time with them. My spouse is in the middle and and is battling me as well as the kids and it's extremely exhausting for her. I've tried the Gary Vee approach to not have expectations towards them. That works on a surface level but it alienates them for me. I'm not fooling myself. All caps. I know I'm the problem. <laughs> I'm just having a real hard time dealing with it. Uh, some extra context is that 
they're having a hard time getting the kids out of the house for walks when things aren't going the way they were planned to the kids start whining uh the oldest one keeps talking back at the youngest and making her scream slash cry um the oldest one keeps complaining about not liking dinner despite not coming up with alternatives i keep shooting down my spouse's suggestions about activities because i don't want to deal with the frustration p.s i feel despicable for even caring about most of these things i'm in emotional mastery mm-hmm. so so i want to carefully cordon off my zone of expertise yep which is nothing to do with having kids nothing to do with having a wife go to someone else for those sorts of particulars uh because i could only lead you down the wrong path so the it's only the last part that i want to address which is i feel despicable for even feeling this and that is where i do feel some that a guy can give advice which is uh you are in honesty over integrity you're in such a better place being honest about these things because as you know from emotional mastery and i would encourage you to check out the new course which went up within the last seven or eight days so mm-hmm. you i'm sure you haven't gone all the way through it uh is one go back to that but the the general idea is that emotions arise and you cannot pick them fight them or resist them mm-hmm. and part of what causes this i feel despicable is the sense that i should have known better than to have these feelings and i think what releases that is when you start recognizing that like this has just happened you know i did get angry i did get frustrated and what you could feel proud of is that you have the conscious recognition of it which is so far beyond most people most people when they feel despicable about something can't let themselves recognize it and then they just are short with their kids and they say that they love them and they say that there's you know family matters the most and they spend 80 hours in the office (laughs) right nothing's wrong nothing fine yes and so the despicable piece is the the only one that i feel uh comfortable giving any advice on which is continue to go through emotional mastery re-go through the new course uh do a trigger meditation which is day six and i think that one can start to unwrap some of these feelings so that you can cope with them uh but just from person to person you have nothing to feel despicable about even though you may that's okay you can still be with that despicable feeling but it is not the end of the story you're not a bad person for being fed up with your family or your wife or your kids particularly during a quarantine when nobody's listening like those are all valid emotions to experience the only thing would be if you acted off them in the sense of you were abusive or anything like that and at that point we can talk um but i don't have anything to say about the the wife and kids because other than you might want to ask someone who has a wife and kids who has done a good job with it mm-hmm. yeah i agree i'm don't have the pleasure of having a wife and children yeah so yes it is and the reason that i want to be careful and not treat it like a girlfriend and kids like little people is because a wife is not a girlfriend mm-hmm. like you are you are committed to that relationship you are staying in it and kids are not little you are that's not actually little adults I, that's the one thing i was going to say yeah it's, I've, I've heard sometimes it's good to treat them like little adults instead of like mm-hmm. uh children but yeah kids brain just doesn't it's not fully functional. Yeah, yeah. So for me to come in from like, oh, like, here's what I would do if it were an employee that yeah, I was yeah, It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, when I have a 22-year-old employee, here's what I do. So you do that on your five-year-old. Like, it's not actually going to work. Mm-hmm. They don't have the same brains. Yeah. So, yeah, you'd need advice that was specifically for wherever a five-year-old's brain is at. Mm-hmm. There's, and I, I've not, I haven't gone through it. So I, I just know that this is a potential resource for you to look at is I think Mind Valley released a course, but she also, I think, does YouTube channels. I believe her name is Dr. Shafali, S-H-E-F-A-L-I. Um, I believe she's an Indian woman. 
who talks about conscious parenting. And mm-hmm. I just, I bookmarked that in my head. I was like, okay, like if I'm ever interested in kids, conscious parenting. Um, I'm skeptical about a lot of the stuff Mind sure. Valley puts out. So okay. I just want to, so I, I'm not, I would just be remiss if I did, if I sat here silently. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just because Mind Valley endorses it does not mean that I would think it was legit. Sure. I just like the words conscious sure. parenting. Sure. I just know they have some stuff that I would disagree with. Okay, cool. Uh, last one is how do you feel about age gaps in dating? Obviously, assuming everyone is over 18, my little sister is 24 and started dating a 33-year-old guy. Even though I know she's fully an adult and they seem to go really well together, I'm having trouble not judging or feeling overprotective. Do you think past a certain age it doesn't matter, or do you have a cutoff age that you wouldn't date or hook up with, either because you just feel weird about it or because you couldn't think it could realistically work? Thanks and keep up the awesome content. Uh, well, I mean, so... There was a handful of questions in there. What would I do and what what is broadly acceptable in society? Like, do I have uh, one? I don't I'm not I don't care if it if it works, because what works for most people implicitly means a long lasting relationship that leads to marriage and likely children. And that does not work for me. That's not what I'm trying to get. Um, What I see in dating is that uh, certainly under under the age of not having had a job or uh, having just spent one's whole life in school is going to have a different level of understanding of the world around them as is mid-20s, as is 30s, and as is late 30s. So certainly people will have different life experiences based on wherever they're at. Uh, do I think that it is a problem that that there is a 33-year-old dating a 24-year-old? No. Uh, if, if they are happy and... Uh, I I'm cool with that, but I feel like that doesn't answer the question. <laughs> yeah, can we, what can you say the question? Again? Yeah. Um. So, my little sister is 24 and started dating a 33 year old guy. Even though I know she's fully an adult and they seem to go really well together, I'm having trouble not judging or feeling overprotective. Do you think past a certain age it doesn't matter, or do you have a cutoff age that you wouldn't date or hook up with either because you feel weird about it or because you don't think it could realistically work? So I think, so you feel overprotective is kind of what you say. And I would be curious, and maybe the answer is no, I wouldn't. If this person were 25, 26, 27, would that overprotectiveness just kick in in another area? Like if he was encouraging her, for instance, to move cities because he had a job somewhere. I I suspect that the overprotective nature is because she is your little sister Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you are sensitive to to, uh, her being hurt, taken advantage of, in any sort of way. I don't think necessarily that a 33-year-old is more likely to take advantage of a 24-year-old than a 26-year-old is to take advantage of a 24-year-old. No, depending on the person, actually far less mm-hmm. because I feel like you get out of that uh, fuckboy stage at some point. You know what I mean? <laughs> that at 25, it's like way more likely you're going to cheat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but forgetting forgetting any judgments on, on better or worse at certain ages, just with this specific example, 33-year-old guy, 24-year-old woman, I think it's completely dependent on the people. Yeah. I think that age gap to me is not troublesome personally. If my friend came to me with this and said, hey, this age gap weirds me out. What do you think? I'd be like, I wouldn't stress about it. It's, in my mind, 100% depends on who the woman is and who the man is. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you said that was 52 and 22, I would go, that is a strange age gap. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not necessarily a terrible relationship, but I would squint at that one. Mm -hmm. Um, But with this one in particular, I think that this being worse than a 26-year-old and a 24-year-old is 100% just who's involved, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. 
Yeah, and so I, I suppose if there was a behavior here, it would be to get to know this person better and to get to know what you want and hope for your sister better. Because I think what is uh, what is happening is there's implicit dreams and hopes and expectations that you have for your sister, which are not totally related to age. It's I want someone to um, be kind to her, mm-hmm. to take care of her in uh, XYZ ways. Yeah, treat her whatever to, way I think to, is good. Uh, not lie to her, to be honest about their intentions in the relationship, whether it's to get married or not get married. Uh, and you may find that this person actually is a lot of the things that you want and you may find that they're not that they're not and it could have nothing to do with the fact that they're 33 um so i think to get clear on what it is that you hope for your sister and then uh to interrogate those and go okay are these reasonable hopes or am i going i hope she stays a virgin for her entire life (laughs) you know never never talks to boys and uh so to then interrogate those and go okay which of these can i reasonably expect to find in uh in her partner and then to go meet this partner and and see if that is the case with him mm-hmm. and then if you have a complaint raise it as far as he is an individual and not as far as he is a 33 year old because mm-hmm. the individual level complaint i think will carry far more weight in your sister's head than saying well i know how old he is yeah, yeah. therefore this is a problem because she's aware she knows um cool are those all the patreon questions those yeah, are all that's the everything we got that's everything yeah. wow well even, there was even on the youtube channel I mean, not like every single YouTube. There question, was one but. that we could do for Patreon, which is um, somebody who wrote back on the deer and wrote back a moral argument. Why? Quick episode today. Well, we can, if you want, we can do a quick shooting on. This is Patreon only. No, this is on the YouTube channel. I can have Justin pull it up. Um, he disagrees that it is ethical to to eat Hawaiian raised deer and wrote. Oh, let's do it. And wrote this a is long. The, the really long. Yeah. It's really long. Yeah. Um, but I, I can try to characterize it no, while no, Justin pulls just, it up. Let's let's not. Uh, Okay. Let's get his words. All right. First point. On their website, Maui Nui Venison claims that their meat is ethical because Hawaii is now home to more endangered species per square mile than anywhere else on the planet. And as the most pervasive threats to Hawaiian species are non-native and invasive plants and animals, the mindful harvesting of Hawaii's wild access deer populations as a food source is an important management tool as we continue to work to lessen our impact and the impact of species that we have introduced on into this beautiful and rarefied place. However, working on the moral framework of preventing unnecessary suffering, this is fallacious because a species does not suffer, individuals do. Therefore, whether native endangered species go extinct or not has no moral significance, and the only reason I think humans are concerned for the, ext- for the continued existence of these endangered native species are selfish ones that have nothing to pertain to ethics or mor- morality. So let's pause there. So uh, the general argument is that uh, if if one bases one's moral compass off of an attempt to reduce suffering, it doesn't matter if you save a species because a species doesn't suffer, yeah. individuals do. Which I agree with. <laughs> yes. But this seems to discount that if a species is becoming endangered or going extinct, it is because the individual animals that make up that species are dying. Yes, and so I think I think there's there's one point of total agreement i think which is that uh the trying to maintain a species in and of itself that this species needs to exist to me is not a strong moral compelling argument i think there might be some some reasons okay we want to save the dna of the the white rhino in africa but the the broader reason is that uh the ecosystem which is comprised of millions and millions of individuals uh can suffer if a species goes incredibly far out of 
balance, such mm -hmm. as may be the case, and I'm not 100% sure, with this axis steer, such that, I'll give you an example, if the axis steer explodes in population, eats all the grass, goes into the ocean, covers the coral reef, fish start to die, then the, the coyotes or the whatever that eat the fish are gone and the rabbits are, you know, so mm -hmm. that such that uh, that out of balance, and by the way, I think we're going to come back to this point of balance, mm -hmm. but what is out of this homeostasis could cause, at least in the short to medium term, much more suffering across the broader ecosystem. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not, I, not because we're trying to prevent the word extinct from yes. existing, but because the process of that species going extinct is it's Lots a symptom of, individuals of a lot dying. of damage. Yeah. Yes. So go ahead. But yeah, on board with the... Yeah, let's not uh, trying to save species is, is kind of arbitrary. I yeah. agree. So people simply don't want to see their precious native species being pushed out by axis deer, even though there is probably no major change to the suffering experienced by individuals of these native species with the spread of this invasive herbivorous deer. Instead that, of being that would be the point of potential contention, and yeah, I haven't just... I haven't dug deep into it, but the argument that I believe they would give that that one would have to look deeper into is that uh, this herb this herbivorous deer is causing widespread death, essentially, yeah, uh, through a cascading chain of events. Yeah, starvation, death, suffering. <clears throat> Go ahead. Uh, meaning that there is no moral wrong being done by allowing the extinction or endangerment of native species due to being unfit and or unable to adapt to a changed environment. Invasive species like the axis deer may cause short-term ecological disturbances, but nature trends towards equilibrium in the long term without human intervention. Some native species may go extinct in the time it takes for equilibrium to be reached again, but that is not of moral significance, and the makeup of flora and fauna in Hawaii will change. Humans should just deal with it. Also, by Maui Nui's logic, I have a thought. Are we yeah. close to the end there? Or? We're getting close to the end. I, okay. You can, yeah. Okay. Also, by Maui Nui's logic, humans in Hawaii should be considered the biggest invasive species of all. And they should actually be hunting people to control their population in order to preserve the beautiful native species. But of course they don't because well, that would be... And I agree. And by your logic, we should let humans do any amount of destruction that they desire because nature will reach a homeostasis. Mm -hmm. It might be the extinction of all humans. It might be the extinction of all animals, just be purely vegetation. But like, yeah, I mean, this is a higher point. Like people often say, we're killing the planet. But the planet is fine. We might kill certain species. We might kill ourselves. But like the rock that is the earth is going to be okay until we drill to its core or the sun explodes. So I think that's actually weirdly a dangerous logic for this Sorry, person. Sorry, what, what do you think is the logic they're proposing? I'm not totally understanding. So it sounds like what they're saying is let the invasive deer do whatever they want. Nature will arrive at a new homeostasis. Yes. Which is a dangerous argument, I think, because what this person really wants is for us not to eat the deer, which is like, it's totally fine. I'm actually open to that discussion. But you think that this is a, you think this is a weak way this of This is a very, there. I think this is a uh, bad argument mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. I think this is, if your goal is people shouldn't eat these deer, this is a bad argument because this argument is saying, let the invasive deer do whatever they need to do, destroy whatever they need to destroy. Eventually, Hawaii it'll, will it'll hit homeostasis, homeostasis, which I agree with. And But it could look like a but barren, a barren could rock. Everything dies. That, that literally That's homeostasis. No, yeah, yeah, sure. uh, what would, more likely that eventually they'll just eat so much that they starve to death and then there's this new homeostasis with fewer species. But like this same logic can also just apply to humans, which are animals. And I often think that... Yeah, so this is one of the things that I saw is that um, we're treating humans as if they stand above and separate from nature. Exactly. And they and, don't. And, and they so don't. if you think it's okay, if, you're, if the argument... Because I agree, humans are the most invasive species in Hawaii but if the argument is let the invasive deer destroy whatever they want 
then the argument would be let the invasive humans destroy whatever they want. And I think this company is arguing, don't do that. Don't let the humans destroy Hawaii. Don't let the deer destroy Hawaii. I think the company's saying, let's try to maintain relatively what's occurring, what life is. And implicit is. in that is is a valuation of the status quo. The life of, that exists yes. there now. And what I'm saying is if you don't value the life that's there now and you're just saying let the deer do whatever they want, it's like, well, then you should really let Then let, let humans, everybody do whatever they you want. You should let all the humans do whatever they want. Kill yeah, yeah. any native or invasive species yeah, yeah, yeah. because the island will find a new homeostasis, sure. which is just true. Like, which is to say that you find that particular thread. And I would agree that the particular chain of getting at this is a bad thing to be an uncompelling one. Because if I follow it to its logical conclusion, my takeaway is not don't hunt the deer. My it's do whatever is, you want. Everyone do, do whatever, whatever they you want because nature finds a new homeostasis. Got it. So I'm saying I don't think this proves the point that it's trying to sure. make. So let's go to the second. Second point is now that we have established that extinction is not morally significant, there is no reason to kill deer for food. Same for any animal. Um, the American Dietetic Association maintains the position that a vegan diet is suitable for all stages of life and can live perfectly fine without animal products. All it causes is unnecessary suffering since even assuming that their killing method is perfectly painless, non-human animals pr probably do experience grief as outlined by this peer-reviewed academic paper from the University of Sydney. The neural substrates for conscious and effective states humans share with other species, the shared mental and physical significance this of attachment relationships, yeah. yep. Uh, the complex social structures and interpersonal relationships many animals construct and nurture suggests that grief might be a suggests that grief might be a constituent part of non-human animals' lives. Just that, as that, it is. animals, I'm, I'm that animals this. miss I, I'm on board their, their, their friends. Animals yeah, appear, animals miss their friends. I, I, I don't need to be convinced by pure paper. Appear to mourn yeah. deaths. Certain sure. animals. I'm on board with this. Sure. Also on their website, this is the third point. So that was the. Okay. Entire. All right. So, so the second pause. point is, I think this is one of the stronger points. Um, is that if I had to recapitulate it, it would be that uh, you can survive on just plants mm -hmm. and these animals still suffer. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not the Sorry, one, not the ones that are killed necessarily, but the other, the, the deer that are the, left alive the, without their friends. The baby yeah. of the that one suffers. Yeah. I think that is a, uh, I think that is the strongest argument that I saw in here. Yeah. So I think that that's a, I agree with that fact set. And the question is almost the one of like, there's a train heading down a track. Mm -hmm. One human is tied to one track, 10 humans are tied to another. Like the, the math you'd want to do is, so killing a deer creates <clears throat> suffering. Even if you kill that deer in its sleep, its pack suffers. I'm on board. Allowing an invasive species of deer to overeat the vegetation in Hawaii causes suffering in the form of whatever animals are starving or whatever fish are, uh, you know, having runoff of yeah, yeah, damage yeah. like like I'm, I'm actually on board you with got the, the trolley idea. problem you got I'm the trolley on, problem. i'm on board with the idea that there's suffering caused the argument that this company would make is that suffering is prevented and the question is what what nets is the math yeah you know what i'm saying yes that's I how do. i read the second point and i think I and i think this is man both sides sure and i think this is important because we didn't fully agree with some of the contentions made in the first point while we do agree that the extinction of species is relatively unimportant what we didn't agree upon is that allowing the axis deer to just do whatever they want uh wouldn't cause a tremendous amount of suffering in the let's call it 10 20 year time frame well it's almost the question of like are you responsible for the suffering that you allow but aren't like so like okay let's say train heading down a track and it's going to hit 10 kids you pull a lever yeah well this is the trolley it kills, problem it kills one kid yeah yeah are you responsible for In the one scenarios. kid it yeah. killed because you pulled the lever 
And are you not responsible for the 10 kids it killed? Because you didn't start the train. Mm -hmm. You have the lever and you decided not to pull it. You've technically not committed any action if you're going to make for this argument that inaction doesn't count as action. Yeah. So now are you not responsible for the 10 kids? And mm -hmm. it's, it sounds like that's the argument that this person would make. Sure. Is that the deer are responsible. The person who put the train in motion yeah, is yeah, responsible. Yeah. Yes. And, and the question is, well, if you have a lever that can cause suffering to one kid. Yeah but not the 10, are you are you positive nine or minus one in mm -hmm. terms of suffering? Yeah, and I think beyond this, there's something that hasn't been said, which is uh, I there may be another principle other than suffering, which is operating here, which is to say, if all I cared about was minimizing suffering, I am 100% sure that the number one way to do that would be to nuke the entire planet, kill off every single person in a fiery hellstorm, and that would be the end of suffering. Mm -hmm. And as time marched on, <laughs> you know, clearly, no yeah. there would be day three. That no would be suffering. it. Because day guess four, what? No All of the people day alive five, are going to no suffer and suffer and suffer and suffer and suffer. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to have kids who suffer let's and say, suffer and let's suffer. Let's say we release a gas that kills everyone in their sleep. Because I think a nuke <laughs> would have some short-term suffering. Sure. But so, you're just sleeping. No one wakes up. You just, mm -hmm. just no one wakes up. There's just worldwide poison gas kills every animal and plant on the planet. Yeah. So now we've ended suffering. We had, and, and with no suffering. Right, but that's like not well. And this person raises that point in the next one, which is there. There seems to be a value to uh, life consciousness mm -hmm. beyond just maximizing, minimizing net suffering. And so, that's uh, good. you want to get to the third. Point? And so, and I don't so, what, what I would just potentially add here is that while we might not care necessarily if a particular species goes extinct, I haven't fully let go of this maybe romantic vision of uh, a biologically diverse Hawaii. Uh, in the short term, meaning not 10 million years from now, <laughs> meaning like all the axis deer destroys it and then it becomes a barren rock and a volcano erupts and because there was nothing there, like... Yeah, yeah like, life will form with, itself Yeah, yeah, point. yeah, life, life would come back. But say in the, in the span of my lifetime, I still see emotional, moral value to having a biologically diverse Hawaii, which maybe isn't important. But I guess what I am saying is that clearly suffering is not the only metric that I am using when I think of uh what actions are valuable right because you're saying if you wanted to minimize suffering in hawaii you just i'd kill everything kill everything i kill everything yeah. as painlessly as possible yeah okay all right <laughs> so and then what's point three so the final point is also on their website maui nui says that invasive feral deer pigs goat sheep and cattle are responsible for widespread destruction of lowland ecosystems and continue to degrade remaining native ecosystems including critical forested watershed that are vital to hawaii's water and soil resources I've already addressed concerns about endangered species going extinct above, so I would like to focus here on Hawaii's water and soil resources. In order to fix that concern, I think humans should just suck it up, allot funding, and use technology to fix these issues. After all, humans are the ones who introduced these invasive animal species to the area. Now we have to pay, now we have to pay the price. Why should the animals have to suffer for humanity's mistake? Also, it's kind of maddening how this company ha actually has the nerve to say that these invasive animals are responsible for for environmental destruction as if they consciously choose to hurt the habitat they live in ignoring the issue of free will which like charlie i don't believe in if any species is to blame it is undoubtedly humankind mm -hmm. which well, seems like there's two arguments yeah, yeah sorry that 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 at the end right. it, it sort of went in a different direction because like i i this is the ted bundy argument which is like uh -huh. i agree i'm not mad at ted bundy yeah i'm not mad at the deer the question is just like what should we do in Hawaii given that there is this deer population? Yeah. Like, I'm not angry at Ted Bundy as I give him the death penalty. I'm just saying, like, you won't stop killing people, so 
here we are. Well, I think there's a broader question here, which is, it sounds to me, and I would love to talk to this person, um, if, you hear, if you're a patron, because I don't think we're going to show this on the main channel. But uh, this is really a question about veganism. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, this is a particular instance of someone who seems to advocate for the vegan diet, uh, feeling that there are, this, this circumstance doesn't qualify. And I don't know under what circumstances this particular individual might imagine, but it seems to me that there would be almost none that a middle-class American would be justified in eating animal meat to this individual. Uh, And this is a question which is not open or closed in my mind, but Mm -hmm. a couple of things that I just saw in there which I've been wrestling with in my head, because I I do think you raise, I think that the most, the best point that you raise in my mind is about the suffering to the pack that, uh, or to the, the children of the deer that you are killing. Um, and then Ben, of course, counters with, well, we have a trolley problem here, which is, okay, that baby deer suffered, but like maybe that baby wolf that would have died when all the things were gone didn't. Um, but the broad problem that I am seeing here is that I don't know how we categorize suffering, uh, or, or morality in a world where uh, are humans the only moral agents? How do we steer the fact that nature is brutal? <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's part of what I struggle with. If you ever go to nature is fucking lit or nature is metal, you will see animals. On Reddit, just because that's yes, not going to make sense. Yes, <laughs> you will see animals do things that humans, uh, few humans could dream of, which means like as they're eating the living wildebeest, they rip its balls off. Not out of hatred or malice, but just because those are where the balls are. Yeah, yeah, they just want uh, to eat them. They just felt like it. And they don't go for a quick kill. Like, if it's down and it's still flailing a little bit, but not so much that they can't eat it, it doesn't bother them. I think the... Or I'll, tr- I'll try to steal man the argument. Uh, well, this is my point. Is that, we, yeah, it, that humans are unique. Yes, in absolutely. This re- in this regard. Absolutely. And should be uh, held accountable for morality because they're the only ones that... Uh, their brains can handle like, it. They can cope with morality. Uh, form the concept of morality. Totally agree. But how do we deal with the fact that the fact that suffering is implicit to life on this planet? If we assume that the 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 deer suffers when we kill it, and the baby suffers when its parent isn't there, how do we deal with the fact that when the wolf kills it, the well, baby also suffers? How how do we do we then stop the wolves? Like what what well, do yeah, we sure. do this about is, that? This is actually this is I guess the question that. Yeah, no, same question. It's like we if, live in if a world where vegan causes yeah. more suffering because mm-hmm. it just does, it just that's just what the impact to the animal kingdom, which I'm not saying it does actually, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying I'm anti-vegan, but if it were the case that we knew that going vegan would cause more suffering than trying to eat ethically sourced animals, then you have the trolley problem. Just like are you are you only responsible for what you're directly doing or are you responsible for the fact that your decision is causing this cascading effect of worse lives for animals i think that's a good question not because it is the case that going vegan causes more suffering but because it really roots you in the core one of the core philosophical problems which is is not pulling the lever on the trolley uh a moral act you know is it the right thing to do is it more or is it an amoral act right you just you just avoided that problem so i think that's a big one the other thing that i've also wrestled with with regards to veganism is that um People just draw lines. So most people draw lines at human. And they say, I will treat humans good, but fuck the pigs, fuck the cows, fuck everybody else. Uh, They don't count. They can go to slaughterhouses and suffer, and I will Instagram my hot dog. Um, That, to me, seems insane. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what vegans do, and I think it has a bit more sense, is they go, you know, uh, I include the cows, I include the this, but 
fuck the arugula, fuck, the, you know, mm-hmm. and it seems to me actually, and then I wonder, well, what about mollusks like clams? Is it okay to eat a clam? That's an animal. Um, yeah, what about, brains, what about bugs? Well, this is the question. And I think what we, what is likely the case is there's almost nothing in nature that's on off. And we're experiencing this with regards to gender. Like we think, you know, there's two genders, there's male, there's females, and there is clearly no sort of bridge in between. But I actually think what you have in my, my opinion is a spectrum where most people tend towards one extreme side so it appears that there's a dichotomy but there's all sorts of people with different uh conditions and i'm not even talking about the way that one feels i'm talking about the fact that people can be born with do with i was going to say dose <laughs> with two sets of reproductive organs yeah, yeah. Uh, or with uh penises that are that are i don't mean this in a mean way so vanishingly small so as to go okay well is this what we meant when we said you know this is the the male form of the species which is capable of impregnation and so what you find in nature is that there's no on-off dichotomies and i and i set all this up to say that what we appear to be dealing with is consciousness and what the meat eaters say is humans are conscious animals and plants are not and what the vegans say is humans and animals are conscious plants are not and what i actually think we will find is that there is this spectrum of consciousness which includes mollusks clams flies bugs and plants uh and obviously the consciousness experienced by a plant is very very different from the the consciousness experienced by albert einstein but what if that is the case what you have to grapple with is that your continued life requires the destruction destruction and ending of certain consciousnesses so you are confronted with the problem of either i end my consciousness or something else's and that is that is a quandary to be in and so the, the only way that i have found to so sort we of, can learn how to do photosynthesis sure sure but and then what i think we will find is that cells light and have, photons photons have consciousness and i actually think this is the spiritual belief the consciousness underpins everything right uh so i don't know that it will get that far but it does seem to me that to go well plants and animals don't what you'll find is that there isn't like what's a venus flytrap is that you'll find that there are these edge cases that mm-hmm. make it uh we like to pretend that there are these clear categories there are humans here yeah, there yeah, are animals scallop, here there are plants scallop and a venus flytrap are the same thing which is neither of them have anything that our science can show as a brain yes you know what i mean or even yes. neurons uh they're like reflexive one is made of some sort of muscle-esque tissue fiber and one is made up of something that resembles plant fibers mm-hmm. but they both just like shut around things that they can consume yeah and what you find is that plants and you go well they're not suffering well okay so maybe we can't tell but when you block off the sun from a plant it moves rather as quickly as it fucking can to get around that right yeah, yeah. so that there are the, the there are behaviors that are indicative of preferences yeah it appears to want something like that, that. It, that it appears to weirdly enough want it now does it want it in the same way that i want a jelly donut no <laughs> obviously it not but i do think what what i've had to encounter is that every category that I've ever thought has broken down and revealed itself to be a spectrum. Uh, and so I expect the same thing to happen with suffering and I expect the same thing to happen with consciousness. And that leaves me going, okay, I mean, veganism might be better because you can argue these are the lowest levels of consciousness that we're capable of eating in order to continue in this life and that's what uh, that's what I will do. But I don't think that the vegan gets the same moral high horse as I am completely clean that they might imagine that they get. Hmm. Um, and so what I would say is myself as a pescatarian, I imagine that my moral high, ho- my moral high horse is slightly higher than the person who eats um, animals and slightly higher than the person who eats humans, <laughs> given their circumstances, but, uh, and slightly worse than the person who eats 
just plants. Mm -hmm. But all of us are participating in the destruction of consciousness and suffering on some level. And then the question becomes, how do I do this in the most thoughtful, graceful, elegant way that still understands what I'm doing uh, without sinking into just total self-loathing? So I don't have the answers to that, but that that's where I sit. Yeah. Anything else? No, I mean, I welcome I welcome the disagreement. I'm glad that the yeah, person yeah, it's commented. Good. It's great. Um, I, I, I read it. Mm-hmm. I thought about each individual point. Yep. And I think uh, I was I was not convinced, but I, I consumed it and thought about it. Sure. So and if this individual wants to contact us, please let us know. And like I said, I do think that the strongest point and where you might uh, be able to argue is so we were talking about the trolley problem. Uh, if, for instance, from an ecological standpoint, you could convince me that this was just a marketing tactic, that in fact these deers were not destroying the ecology of Hawaii, that that was a marketing tactic sold to me so that I could be sold meat, I'd be more amenable to it because then we're not dealing with the trolley problem anymore. Mm-hmm. Then we're just dealing with... What if I hunt in such a way that I identify which deer are closely deer. tied yeah. and I kill them <laughs> in, in groups? So like mom, dad, baby, yeah, yeah. same time. Yeah, and I think you can ask the same question about people. Like what if you just extinguish a family that has no friends uh, and you do it at night? You know, what is the problem there? And they don't suffer a lick. There seems to be value to life. And there's, or at least we have this assumption that there is, and to consciousness, and the, to the ability to have wake up in the morning. But I think that extends not just to the family as well as to the deer. I also think it extends to the rhododendrons. <laughs> you know, I think, I think it extends to everything. And then you're kind of in this bind, which is like, shit. I just have to try to reduce uh, and be conscious of what I am doing. Uh, but I don't have the answer. I, I don't think there's, I thought that there was going to be like, oh, veganism is the truth, is the way, no mm-hmm. suffering. And I actually don't think that's the case. You're yeah. still going to participate. You're still just trying to minimize at some level. Now I'm just being uh, argumentative. Difficult. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I don't even know if this is uh, what I believe or not, but one could argue that uh, one wild caught, let's call it bison, mm. that lived its whole life wild and is killed in its sleep could probably be frozen and feed someone for a very, very long time. Yeah. But a vegan, you have to eat a lot of vegetables to get to 2,000 calories a day. So mm-hmm. if each carrot and almond and and lettuce, uh, like, what are they called? Bunch? Head. Lettuce head suffers. You're, you're certainly going to suffer. A lot more entities will suffer. But we think a bison can suffer to a larger... To a, to a, multi, to a, to a higher, multiple. higher and multiple. I, and to me, it appears a much higher. Me too. But my question yeah, yeah. is, okay, so one bison times one bison multiple, mm-hmm. one year of food, mm-hmm. 365 days, 30 plants per day, yeah. a thousand plant sufferings. It seems... a small yeah. plant. It's mm-hmm. like... To me, it seems still uh, incomparable. Maybe. To me. Like as I... As I now, look, well, yeah, now we're all just going to make up numbers that fit our diet. Yeah. Well, well, not even my diet. Just um, no, no. But if I so I don't do this. But if I so if I'm uh, Joe Rogan, carnivore diet, bow hunter, mm-hmm. I'll just make the math that a bison is a thousand sufferings and each plant is one point five sufferings. Mm-hmm. And so a year of vegan is fifteen hundred sufferings and a year yeah, of bison yeah. is a thousand. Like now we're just going to make up math that fits our. What you could push back on is that plants have consciousness. You'd say what you would have to do is draw the line. What you what you'd have to do to make it an easy argument is go a plant is time zero. Yeah. And I think that's what it, that's what vegans implicitly do. Mm-hmm. But of course, as you get to the edges, like I mentioned, the Venus flytrap as compared to a clam, it's oh, like... Oh, yeah. No, I'm just saying, sorry. I'm just saying, we know how we like to make bets and do predictions, Reggie. If this person never saw this video, but did call in, mm-hmm. I think the argument would quickly get to that. I think mm-hmm. that would be the the thing that was uh, batted back and forth. 
was yeah, like plants are zero whether plants are zero or not mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying yep totally uh and so uh, it, it doesn't appear to me that they are zero it appears to me that they might be a vanishingly small number compared to a bison um such that it made more sense from a suffering perspective to eat the plants but i i do think what it leaves you with is um uh, aiming to do as best you can, recognizing that you will never get there, that even if, you know, you're eating meat, it's being transported in a vehicle, which is pumping greenhouse gases and, you know, like that, like your existence is in some ways negative. It's destructive. That, that is, uh, that is what it is to be a separate entity competing for survival and how you cope with that and how you uh, massage the edges of that so as to make it not so just wantonly destructive mm-hmm. is kind of where morality is yeah, in play. Yeah. And then you get some funky stuff too. Like let's say I just really want to be a meat eater, right? And so I just look at, okay, the net plus minus of my life. And so I go, okay, well, I'm going to eat cows mm-hmm. and I'm going to devote my life and my funds to helping humans. This is the utilitarian, yeah. Because now we're saying human consciousness counts for more than, because like certainly you wouldn't let me kill a human in its sleep yeah. and eat it. So you're saying plants are one, bison are a thousand, humans are 10,000. Okay, I started an orphanage. <laughs> so I saved three you know orphans. I'm saying like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm plus, I'm yeah, plus yeah. a lot at this point. I can do slaughterhouses yeah, now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just yeah, it's a very interesting and this is why there's this there's this paradox that every act needs to be considered as opposed to its opposite, which is the trolley problem. Like, okay, well, I, I if I don't do this, something still happens. But also, you still have to review every act as a singular entity, which is to say, just because I saved someone doesn't mean I should get moral clearance to go kill someone. Yeah, if you save two people from a fire, you, you don't, don't get to just murder one of them. Yeah, you know, like, uh, and and this is the difficulty. So again, this is where I get to this soft, fuzzy spiritual morality, which is uh, less prescriptive and more. This is so soft, like intent based, heart based. Like, are you trying to do your best continually? And that's while recognizing that you'll never get there. Yeah. Nobody's ever going to get there. You're doing your best. They're doing their best. And you p- help everyone around you to do the best that they can do. And to tie it into what we talked about earlier, it requires extreme self-honesty because it's mm-hmm. very easy to then self-deceive that the things you want to do yeah. are your quote-unquote best. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever watches this, let us know what you think of this discussion. Sure. Personally sure. find it interesting, but I don't have to do it on camera if it's awesome. Not- so we will have uh, some Patreon stuff going up. Like we said, we're going to, with the extras that we have where we get really into the weeds as we did with Unconditional Love, Justin's going to have going up on Patreon. If you want to join that, like Ben said, every $300 means a new episode up to $1,200, which we'll be doing one a week. And what think, are we up to now? Are we back to $600? we are at $900. we will see how long it lasts. I think we uh, we did have a very generous patron who, who donated $300, so it's likely that we'll go back to $600 because I, I doubt that's a continual thing. So you guys can check where we are at any point, though, if you just click the link in the description. So that's it. Thanks, everybody. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.